you understand that, that we operate by rules. Have you ever, ever gone to a new job or a new, into a new setting and, and you know, they may hand you, go, you go through the handbook and that's the company's official rules. And then you come into work and find out there's some unofficial rules. You know, there's certain, you know, there's certain things that people say you need to do and then you find out do people really do that? Like, do they really come in at 8.30? Uh, or do they, you know, is the coffee break really only 15 minutes? And, and who's, there's a pecking order in every, every family and every, every office. And every, there's a pecking order. And, and there are very subtle rules by which <clears throat> we've gradually learned to understand what they are. And we either abide by those and flow in them or we buck them and run up against them. And uh, there's people in jail today because they decided to buck against the rules instead of obey the rules. So in every area of society, even in our families, whether you've set them down or you haven't set them down, there are rules of operation. They may be good rules and godly rules, or they may be very permissive rules, but there are some rules out there. And I say that to understand that, because we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and we may not get through it all today. We're going to talk about principles or rules by which the kingdom of God operates and by which the kingdom of the world operates. But I want you to talk for a minute or so about what, these, what rules are so we don't just launch into it because we're, you operate on them all the time. You have your own set of rules, which may line up with the government's rules. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't want to pay taxes. That's your rule. They have a rule. You have to pay them. So at some point, your rule is going to run up against their rule, and they'll rule. <laughs> they'll win. So my advice is you do what they say. Now, anyway... We've spent time now over the last few weeks looking back into the garden and we've talked about paradise, the way God created man and what God intended for us in this creation. And we saw that in that man walked in perfect fellowship, perfect communion with God and to the point that he wasn't even aware of himself. He was lost in who God is. And that by doing that, he didn't lose who he is. He truly found out who he is. And there's so many people out there trying to find themselves. And the only way you'll find out who you are is to lose yourself in who he is because that's who you are. You were made, you were created and intended to be part of God in walking in a relationship with him. But we talk about that sometimes. And when we think of that, mean we, well, God's over here and I'm over here. No, it's a union with him. It's to be one with him. And it's only by walking in that union, by walking in that absorption in he, who he is. And, and I don't even be, pretend to begin to know what that means yet, but I'm getting more and more a taste of it the more I pursue that. It, that all, all, everything's taken care of. It's the place where God's blessings flow. And then we saw what happened is Satan came along in chapter 3 of Genesis, and his whole purpose was to mess it all up. Now understand this. God is the only creator. You've never created anything. No other being has ever created anything because only God has the ability to create. What we do is we take things God has created and we restructure them, we, we reorganize them, and we form them into something different, but we don't take something and make it out of nothing. I said that because in the same token, Satan can't do that either. Jesus said about him that he is the, he is the father of lies, that there is no truth in him. He wasn't saying that Satan lies. What he said is he's not capable of telling the truth because there is no truth in him. God, on the other hand, is truth. God doesn't tell the truth. I mean, He does. But it's far more than that. He is truth. So everything that comes out of Him is automatically truth because it came from truth. Now, just this is simple. It may sound a little heavy, but it's just it's real basic foundational stuff. And I said that because Satan cannot create anything. Because if he created something, it would be a truth. Therefore, all he can do is to take something that God has created and pervert it. 
get it out of order. It's important to understand this because sometimes in this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, we think they're coming at this on equal terms. We think you've got God over here who's created things and God had his way of wanting to do things in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. And then over here comes the serpent who is more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. And he comes in and he messes all these things up as if he's got some great power to do that. And so we kind of, in the back of our mind, we think, well, maybe they're kind of almost equal in power. And that can be scary to us because, you know, we see so much of Satan's work and handiwork in the world around us and even in our own lives. And, of course, many of us talk too much about what he's doing and talk very little about what God's doing. I don't want to pay that guy that much attention. I want to give honor to God on what he's doing. And, you know, I've learned this principle. The more you think about something and the more you talk about it, the bigger it gets to you. So the more you think about God and who He is and what He's done for you and what He's doing for you, and the more you talk about who God is and what He's done for you, those things, the bigger He gets to you. On the other hand, the more you think about what Satan's doing and everything that's going wrong and how bad the world is, and the more you talk about that, guess what? The bigger that gets in your world. It doesn't change the reality. It just changes what's more real to you. So we have this scene in the garden, God's marvelous creation. And then Satan comes in. He can't create anything else. But what he can do is come in and get it out of order. And we talked about that. But he couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't just come in here and start tearing trees down and ripping up the garden and doing that. He had to come to the man and the woman that God put there. And he had to deceive them. The Bible says he deceived Eve. He didn't deceive Adam. Adam knew what he was doing. He had to entice them into breaking God's commandment. He had to entice them into breaking the rules that God set up. Because in God's kingdom, it operates by certain principles. And we'll see at the end of this, these principles come out of God's nature and out of God's character. And we're not going to go through all of them, but we're going to show you some because I want you to understand this, this, this message today and probably next week is called the upside-down kingdom. So the, the world that God created operated by certain principles which were inherent in His nature. Satan comes in and in order to try to destroy, he can't destroy it, but he can get it out of balance. He can get it out of order. He can pervert it. And he came in, and his goal was to get them to break God's rule, violate God's rules, and in their mind, to establish their own. And we've talked about this before. To establish their own kingdom, and, and, and that's what we've done. We try to live our own independent life with what our own goals, our own resources. You know, it's my money, it's my car, it's my house, it's my time. If I want to give it some of it to God, then I choose whether I do or not. That's a deception. Because we're living in a world that we've imagined, but that's not the real world out there. In the real world, God created everything, God owns everything, and God's entrusted to us what we think is ours. He, we possess it, we don't own it. That's the reality. But see, once we listen, once we decide to be on our own, and we've seen this, then we enter into a deception. And part of that deception is, I'm now operating by my rules, and I'm trying to learn to become obedient to God's rules. The reality is you don't have any rules of your own. Because there are only two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom that operates under His rules. And then there's Satan's kingdom that operates under the perversion of God's rules. And His focus is to get us to operate to take God's rules and to operate them for our purposes. 
Because remember what he said to Eve. He said, God's whole held something back from you. He's told you, you can't eat of that tree because if you do, you'll gain the knowledge of good and evil and you'll become like God. In other words, he's holding something back from you. But I'll give it to you. I'll show you how to get for yourself, listen to me, something God didn't want to give you. Because God's holding something back. Well, we saw what they got, all right. They got fear. They got shame, sickness, disease, everything that's loose in the world today, that's what they got. That's what God was keeping from them. So he has come in, Satan, to entice them to operate on a different set of rules. But actually it's not a different set of rules because if it were a different set of rules, he would have had to create the principles. Instead, what Satan did is he's convinced them and he's convincing us to take those principles and turn them upside down, operate them backwards. And you and I were born into, grew up in, and have been thoroughly trained on those rules that are God's rules that have been perverted and turned upside down to the point that we believe that's what's normal. And we live in a world that operates by those rules. And until you came to Christ, that's what was normal for us, that just like, you know, gravity works, we, these principles work, that's how we governed our lives. But once we came to Christ, what we saw is He paid through His price of His, of his sacrifice on that cross. He paid through a way back into that garden, back into that paradise, back into that relationship with God. But in this kingdom, it operates under God's rules the way God ordained them to operate. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to get into the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. I'm not bad whether you're born again. We're trying to enjoy that kingdom under the perversion of those rules, and it doesn't work. Do you ever try to take... You know, take two magnets. It's so much fun as a kid. I discovered how you can take two magnets. If you turn them together the right way, they join together, right? But if you turn them the wrong way, they push apart. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the principles of the, 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 the perverted principles of the kingdom of the world into the paradise garden of God and operate by them. And there's like a force. It won't work. Because in God's kingdom, it operates under His rules. And so that's what we're going to begin to study. We're going to begin to look at some of these rules because it's a matter of literally changing how we look at the world around us and how we look at the Word of God. Because it's so easy, especially to the young generations now, but it's truly true of all of our generations. We come to church as Christians, we read our Bible, say, yes, that's true, but, and then we, this is our church experience, and then we go back into the real world. And so we think, yeah, that's church, but the real world out here isn't like that at all. And what I want you to see is the real world is perverted principles of the kingdom of God because Satan has sold us a bill of goods to take God's principles and turn them upside down for our purposes. And they don't work. Just read your newspapers this morning. Just turn the news on and you can see how well these principles... Well, you just have to go back to the garden. What happened to them when they turned the rules upside down? So we're going to begin to look at some of these rules, some of these principles, but I wanted you to understand what a principle was and why they're so important. The fallen world... The fallen world operates under God's rules that have been perverted by Satan. Well, to be more accurate, Satan didn't pervert the rules. He's convinced us that they work backwards. He's convinced us that the opposite is true. And as we get into these, you'll see what I'm talking about. 
Now, what's very important when it comes to dealing with him and with the kingdom of God, when it comes to dealing with the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and we sang about that this morning, it was so powerful. The key verse to that is John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus teaches this principle, so clear. If you're ever trying to discern, I don't know whether that was God or the devil, here's your, here's your litmus test. Jesus said it. It's, it's red letters in my Bible, so I know it's the truth. Jesus said it. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Satan comes only, that's the key word there. That means he has no other motive. We see that in the garden. He comes looking as if he's going to satisfy your needs and your desires. Now, he doesn't come up to you in a red suit with a tail, you know, pointy ears. He comes up to you through temptations. He'll tempt you to operate under his principles. He'll tell you God's principles don't work. And when you look at the situations around you, he'll make a case to you for that. But he's a deceiver. He only comes. That means in order to decide whether you want to follow him or not, you've got to decide whether you want what follows the only. Because that's all he's here to do. And Jesus lists three things. He only comes to steal, kill, or destroy. You don't find in that list help, comfort, bless, save, heal, advise. That's not following the world only. The only, only things that follow only is steal, kill, or destroy. That means what he convinces people to do with God's rules is only for the purpose of stealing from us, killing us, or destroying us. It's what the Word of God teaches us. So we've got to decide, do I want to be stolen from, killed, or destroyed? Because if I don't, I cannot operate under the perverted principles of the world. I've got to operate under God's principles because the next thing Jesus says, but I have come. Oh. That's why he comes, but I have come that you might have life. And that life, if the word in Greek it says super abundantly. That's the paradise we've been talking about. So we have a choice to make. But I want you to see as we start this out, it's not like we're just sort of standing there, you know, in this vacuum saying, well, that's obviously better. We live in a world that's bought this goods. We live in a world that's entrenched and saturated with the deception that these perverted principles are the way life has to be and the way life is. Then we get saved and it's the process of renewing our mind to realize that's a lie. That's not the truth. This is what the truth is and this is why my life is in an upheaval. This is why things aren't working for me because although I I may be in the kingdom of God, I'm still operating under perverted rules. So it's not enough to start learning the rules. We've got to understand this separation. Because that's the basis of the choices we make every day. So those are what we're going to begin to look at. And I've got about eight of them here. There may be more. But we're just, at this point, it's enough for us to see the difference. So let's start looking at some of these. One of the principles that the world operates under is this. In order to reach the top in anything, you have to climb over others to get there. It's a competition. Everything in life's a competition. And the kids start at it at an early age. And there's nothing wrong with competition because life is competitive. It's bringing the best out in you. But again, here, go back to these principles. 
God's principles are based on his nature. Satan's perversion of them is based on his nature. And so we're going to see this theme throughout these of the difference between God's character and nature in his principles. See, these principles of the kingdom of God are not just some arbitrary thing that God decided, let's see. Yeah, let's do this one. That one sounds good. Let's do that one. No, no, they come out of his character. It's the way God operates. It's the way God operates. The the law, the Ten Commandments, is essentially how God operates. And if he were to take on flesh and be... Oh, I think he did, didn't he? That's how he'd operate. And that's exactly what he did do. So the first one we're going to look at is in the world system, which is a perversion of God's, is that in order... It's it's based on competition. It's in order to succeed, I got to do better than you do. Now that's fine in terms of challenging our growth, but what happens is it becomes selfishly motivated. There's the child's game where they play it at parties and things like that. There's a perfect example. It's called musical chairs. You know, it is, you know, you've got 10 kids and nine chairs, and they play the music. And when the music stops, everybody's got to sit down, and somebody's going to get left out. So, what happens? We don't just walk around. We're looking at people. We're sizing up that chair. Am I going to get there before you do? And when that music stops, I boom, move you out and sit down. In the corporate world, and there's only one place at the top. In order to get there, it's like a pyramid. You've got to climb over people to get there. And again, there's nothing wrong with com- competition for the sake of bringing the best out in me. But what happens, because this is selfishly oriented, it's not just bringing the best out of me, it's at whatever it costs, even you. So I get to the top by moving you aside. Not only that, it it has this basic principle of success that in order to succeed, listen, in order to succeed, I got to get to the top. Because if I don't get to the top, the guy at the top is a greater success than the guy at the next level. And then he's a greater success, or they are, and the guys at the bottom... They're a bunch of turkeys. Obviously, they're the losers because they're at the bottom. And so we, we have this concept in the world that we have to be motivated by getting to the top. And there's nothing wrong with goals. There's nothing wrong with achieving. But it's the motive. Everything's the motive. And this is the model of the world But what we're going to see is it's a perversion of a principle that's in the kingdom of God. And the world's brought, the church has brought this perverted principles into the church world where we're competitive with one another. How did they get that position? Because it's instilled in our fallen flesh. But we've got to learn to renew our mind. See, the door's been opened back into this kingdom. To renew our mind, to think like the principles of the kingdom in here and begin to operate like the rules of the kingdom in here. So let's see what those original principles were. Let's take a look at what the principles are in the kingdom of God as to this issue. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. in here this morning. Verse 20. I love this story. Now, Mark's account's a little different. Luke's account's a little different. But Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, I love that, came to Jesus, to him, with her son. So mama's bringing the boys. Two of his disciples who've been called by God 
as the foundation for the start of the church. And she brings her boys to Jesus. She just wants her boys to get ahead, that's all. That's what's wrong with that. Well, we'll see. And kneeling down. Oh, this is going to be religious. She's really going to worship him. Asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. Now, just so you understand, that's not just, you know, because they like you so much. In, 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 the, in a palace, in the king's court, there were positions that meant something. And in a king's court, the person that sat on his right hand was the next in charge, was often like a prime minister. And the person that sat on the left was the next in charge. So these were not just, you know, they love to sit near you because they love you so much. She's asking for a position of high honor in the kingdom of God. She's trying to get her boys ahead in the next kingdom. Okay. Let's see what he has to say about this. And that's the world system, isn't it? Get ahead. Hey, mom sees an opportunity here to promote my sons. So she comes to Jesus, bows down to worship him. Respectful, reverent. Because she's operating under this system. Which is there's a chance. I see an opportunity for my boys to get ahead. Ahead of who? Ahead of the other not 10, 11, or two boys, yeah, of the other 10. We're, we're going to see that in a minute. They didn't like that. She's trying to satisfy a desire that's in her. Nothing wrong with seeing your children succeed. That's not what we're talking about here. They already were succeeding. They were apostles of the Lamb. But she's not satisfied with that. Because in order, there's a, there's a drive in her to not just be where God had set them, but to be at a position that God has not yet given them. That she makes happen. With me? All right. That's the principle of the, of the world. And now we're going to see Jesus teaches her the principle of the kingdom that that's a perversion of. He's so gracious here. He doesn't blast her here and say, you turkey, don't you understand? The kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. See, oh, God's so wonderful. I'm, I'm glad he doesn't do this with me. He comes to where she is and he's trying to bring her over to see this, to give her an understand, because she doesn't understand. This is what she's been raised in. This is what was all the culture around her was. He's trying to lift her eyes up to see that there's another way, that there's God's way, that this isn't God's way. So he's not angry at her at this point. But here's the question he asks her. Do you know what you ask? See, there's times we ask God for things and we don't really understand what goes with it. Remember when we first moved back here and I shared some of this testimony last week. I didn't tell the story and I won't go into detail. But we were looking for a house and, and I shared with you the challenge we had because of, uh, of, of the money being invested in a house in Oklahoma. So the house I found that was just, oh, it was just, I love this house. It was in a very convenient location for what we were doing back then. And, and I went to God and I was still a new Christian. I said, God, I, I love this house. And I, I came, it wasn't right away, but later on God spoke to me and he said, all right, I'll give it to you. I'll provide, I'll, I'll make a way for you to have that house. But let me tell you what goes with it. And he showed me the taxes. He showed me the mortgage payment because I had really no down payment. And he said, the result of this is if, we get, if, you, if I make a way for you to have this house, you're going to be so strapped every month 
that every, every piece of food that you buy, you're going to have to pray over. Do you really want that? And I said, no. And I let it go. What he was saying to me is, do you know what you're asking? He was teaching me something. And that's what Jesus is saying to her. Do you, do you know what you're really asking for here? Because see, we see things, the world sees things in terms of position and title and how everybody else sees us. See, God doesn't look at your authority. God doesn't look at, your, at the anointing or the gifting. He doesn't look at that in terms of what that says about you. Because the things that God gives us, the gifting, the anointing, the, the, the position, the authority, all of those are so we can do something with it for Him. They're not badges for us. Whatever gifting God has given me to teach, I have to remind myself that this is not something, I, I didn't do it on my own, it was something He deposited in me. Why? For your benefit. So that I can, he through that gifting can make himself clear to you. So when people come and say, Pastor, oh, you're so clear about that, I remind myself, yes, that's a gift God made me. What they're excited about is that gift helped them see you better. You're the one they're excited about. And I better keep that straight. So he says to them, to her, Do you know what you're asking? In other words, there's something else that comes with that position. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? Now, he's not talking about the cup of wine. He's talking about what he's about to go through on the cross, the price he was about to pay. The cup that I'm about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm about to be baptized with. That means to go through what he was about to go through. And look at this. They said to him, yes, we're able. Well, we find out in a few chapters how able, forget how able, how willing they were, because the moment he's arrested, what do they do? Whoo! They go hide out for their own skin. They weren't ready to offer anything for him, except they think they were. And he's so gracious, he met them where they were, because notice what his answer to them is. He knows what they're about to do. Verse 23, he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. And they all did. And be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. In other words, yeah, you will. You will give your life for the gospel. Now, the way they thought, not because of the way they thought, because he knew where they would end up. Down, aren't you glad God doesn't treat us on where we are now? God knows where you're going to end up. And he treats you on the basis of where he sees you're going to end up and helps bring you there. I love the story of Abraham. In, in Romans 4, it talks about Abraham never wavered in unbelief. You need to go read the story of Abraham. He waffled and wavered all over the place. But then is, was God just wrong? No, God's testimony about him is where he ended up, not what he went through to get there. And that's what's going on here. You will indeed have my cup, but for you to, for, to sit on my right hand on my left is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now remember, under the world system, it doesn't matter whether it's God's will for me to be at the top. It's my will to get to the top because the top's obviously the best place to get to because it means I'm stronger, better, and whatever than the people that didn't get there. And this doesn't just apply in a business world. This can apply in any situation. But notice what Jesus' answer is. What's right for your sons is the place God has ordained for them. And it's not my place to tell you that because I don't know. The place they should be seeking is the place God has assigned to them, not the place that they want because it makes them look better and feel better. All right. Look at this, verse 24. 
Then the ten heard it. And they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. We got strife. Envy and jealousy on Jesus' own inner staff. Why? Because they're trying to operate under this principle. And remember, it's a perverted principle of the truth. And anytime you're dealing in any kind of perverted principle, it will, per, per, it will produce perverted results. Oh, this is why James says, where there's envy and jealousy, there is every evil work. Think about that sometime. The next time you're tempted to be envious of somebody, do you want to open the door to Satan and every, it says they're doctrines of demons. That's what these principles are. Envy and jealousy and self-promotion. He lists in there. They're evil. Let's go look there quickly. James, it's not, I'm sorry for the translators, it's not in my notes. But James chapter 4, quickly. I want you to see this in here. Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13. Oh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, that's what this kingdom's operating on over here. Then do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's what we're saying. Envy. What's envy? I want to be in that position, and you got there, and I want, that ought to be my position. That's what envy is. You have something, I ought to have it. Why do you have something, and I don't have it? That's envy. That's putting yourself, reaching this place. And he says, where you're doing that, and they're self-seeking. That is a doctrine of demons. That's what I'm saying. This is the doctrine of God, the principles on which God operates and the kingdom of God operates. Satan has perverted those, turned them around. Same principle, turned it around, and therefore it is a doctrine of demons. What is it going to produce? This produces joy, life, and life more abundantly. This produces steal, kill, and destroy. That produces life. James says it's a different way. It is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. See, we sometimes think we can pick and choose. Like this is the buffet. And I don't like Brussels sprouts, so I'm going to skip them. And I'll have the mashed potatoes, because I'm saving room for what's at the end of the buffet. No. See, this is what I tried to show you at the beginning. There's not God's principles, my principles, and then Satan's principles. There is no my principles because there is no my kingdom. My kingdom is an illusion, a deception, and that's what he wants us to think because that's why it seems so, I can do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. But that's really, the people that are with that mindset are the most bound up prisoners that you can have because they think they're free, but they're bound because the Word of God says there is every evil work. Hi.
Let's go back to Matthew. Let's find out what God's principle is. Let's find out what we are to do. Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. That's what we've been talking about. And those who are great, this is the world system, this is the perverted system, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Ever work under somebody that was, you know, they were throwing their authority around? They don't understand that it wasn't their authority. The Bible tells us that all authority comes from God, so that whatever authority you have is His. And it's only to carry out His purpose. When you get outside of His authority, you don't have authority anymore. You've, you've usurped authority. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. But the Gentiles, that's the world system. The Gentiles, the world system, they lord it over them, and those who are, those who are great exercise authority over them. But look at verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. Now we're going to go over to God's kingdom. That's how the world operates. That's the way you've been operating. In fact, you were just operating in it right now when your mom came up to me and tried to get you in this exalted position. But that's not, should not be so among you. See, the world, we understand why the world operates like this because it's all they know. They don't have the light, the truth, to know that there's another kingdom over there. In fact, Jesus said of the Pharisees, you're operating under your father, the devil. Because until you come to Christ, God's not your father, spiritually. He's your creator, but he's not your father. Until you come to Christ, Satan is your father, because there's only two families. So he says, this is how you were, but it shall not be so among you. In other words, you need to come over and operate under the principles of your father's household. And now he's going to tell them what it is. It shall not be so among you, verse 26. But whoever desires to become great among you, and that's great in God's eyes, this is what great means to God. You understand God's value systems are different than the world. That's what we're talking about. What impresses God is not what impresses everybody else, even in church. You see that in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, you know, if you speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if you give your body to be burned, if you're so committed that you sacri- you're willing to sacrifice your body for God, if you, if, you, if you give everything you have away, if you've got such faith you can move mountains... That's impressive to the church. Wow. But what does God look? But if you don't have love, in God's eyes, nothing. So God's perspective on what we do is often very different because God's not looking at it through the principles of the world. He's looking at it through the principles of his kingdom. It shall not be so among you. Whoever desires, whoever desires to become great among him, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, that's himself, did not come to be served, and if anybody had a right to be served, it was Jesus. But he didn't come to be served he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The kingdom of God, because this is God's nature, operates on this. The focus of my life is to serve you for whatever you need. Even to the point where all of us who were enemies of God, we've looked at that before, all of us over here establishing, trying to establish our own kingdom independent from the creator that made us. He would have been completely justified and said, well, look, you had your chance, forget it. I'm going to start over again. 
but his whole heart was to redeem us. And whatever that was going to cost to bring us back, he was willing to pay. And so he sent his son. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that to have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who although he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, humbled himself, took on the form of a man, took on sin. And then it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. God exalts you as a whole different ballgame. Close with this story because it's out of John chapter 13. Jesus didn't just teach these things. He also exhibited them among them. Same group of disciples. They're having their last meal together and we're going to celebrate this in a few minutes, communion together as a remembrance of what they did. And, and they're sitting around and in, in this room, um, the typical household uh, had a slave called a doulos. The Greek word was doulos. And there would be a basin of water because when you came there, people wore sandals and they would walk through the dust of the street. When you come in, you'd be greeted by somebody and a slave was responsible for taking your sandals off, wiping your, washing your feet, cleaning your sandals, and then putting them back on you. And it was so common and menial that most people didn't even notice it. The problem was this wasn't someone's house. This was a rented room and no servant came with it. Instead that the landlord had put in the entranceway a bowl of water, and a towel, but no servant. So they all come in, and they gather around, and they go through this meal together. They go through the, they're, they're sharing Passover meal together. This is such a significant meal. And at the end of the meal, but no, they would never wash their feet. At the end of this meal, and I, it, it had to occur to them, but they're vying for position. And of course, if you're the number one dude, you know, you don't go washing people's feet. The other should become washing mine. So John and James, that's mother's, mom's boys, they're probably figuring, you know, well, you know, we're probably going to get to sit next to him. John was sitting next to him, had his head on his chest. And then there's Peter who is going to do everything first, except this. Interesting. He wasn't willing to serve first. He was willing to do outward things first. And I'm sure they're all kind of looking around the room and nobody did anything. And then all of a sudden Jesus gets up. Now when Jesus got up, all eyes would be on him. And I got to imagine this quiet. And Jesus gets up, I'll do it over here, and walks around because they're all at a table. Tables were low then, they were kind of reclining. He walked, pardon my back, he walks around and he picks up the bowl. And he goes around and he takes his outer garment off and he washes each one of their feet. I can only imagine what the atmosphere in that room must have been like. Could have cut it with a knife. Still. Some feeling shame. Some feeling confusion. Some may be angry at the others. Why didn't you do this? You don't know what's going on in their minds. But it had to be a powerful moment. And Jesus comes to the end. Washing, of course, he gets to Peter. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, I, listen, see, this is, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? In other words, I'm more humble than the rest of these turkeys. I'm beneath you washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. If you don't let me serve you, you have no, can have no place with me. And he finishes, puts his outer garments back on, and he goes and he reclines again. And he says, you know what I just did? He said, you call me Master and Lord, and that's what I am. But I came to serve you, not to be served by you. And then he said, now you need to go out and do this for one another. Stop being over here wondering how am I going to get to the top. See, Jesus went to the bottom. 
He literally did. He went into hell. He went to the bottom for us. And in God's kingdom, that puts him at the top. In God's kingdom, serving others. In God's kingdom, that's the top position. And the more you serve the, and this be doing what he tells you to do, the higher you put, he puts you to the top. That's why that's an upside-down kingdom. Not his. That's the upside-down kingdom. And Jesus literally did that for us because that's God's nature is not to promote himself, but is to serve us. But when you operate in his nature, it promotes you in the kingdom because you're acting more like Let's pray. We've only got through one of these, but it's an important one. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that, and our minds can't begin to grasp what it means that you served us and were willing to lay your life down. But we come to you right now, Father, and we thank you that you loved us so much that you did not, Jesus, you did not come here to be exalted and to be worshiped but you came here to serve. And we pray that you would open our eyes, that we begin to see the attitudes and the thinking that's gotten embedded in our mind, that comes from the world, and help us to begin to see the principle of the kingdom of God that we've learned today. In Jesus' name, amen.